You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law Corporation, and with me is my co-host just with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Hello, nice to uh, sit down and talk to you. Yes, do you like your new title? Now you're co-hostess. no longer the sometimes co-host, but the co-hostest with the mostest? I'll go with whatever you call me. <laughs> I've... But you specifically asked me not to call you the sometimes co-host. I know, because I, I felt like I was just like, I don't know, I just didn't feel respectful at all. Oh. Then, in the end, I realized well, I, I don't from... really need to feel respected. I know, it wasn't disrespectful. It came from a place of, you know, mild tolerance of you. Good. Okay. <laughs> Look, I'll take it. I'll take it. Mild um, tolerance is enough for me. So, last week we talked about the Matic case and we spend a lot of time talking about important issues and never got to talk at all about huge changes with uber yeah i know well we sort of it's here ran out of time um it's here and ish (laughs) yeah um it's here ish yeah so there's been i mean there's lots of angles to this. Uh, why we waited so long is sort of beyond me. We had but, other, um, other things. Then here we had the um, the city of Surrey, of course, uh, um, using uh, entrapment methods to, entrapment. to call up these cars. Well, it's not, it's not, I don't think there's anything unlawful about it, uh, but to uh, call Uber cars in and then issue them $500, the driver's $500 tickets for not having business licenses. Well, now here's the thing. You don't think there's anything unlawful about it. I don't think it's entrapment, but all over the radio, people are complaining. It's entrapment. Reporters are calling it entrapment. Surrey City councillors who don't agree with it are calling it entrapment. When will in no Rome. One, <laughs> will no one listen to reason and law? Well, I mean, it's finding them committing an offense, a violation of, um, of Surrey bylaws. I went and looked at the bylaws. You know, they have very clear bylaws. You're operating basically a taxi service. You're operating a business. Those things were covered in the bylaws. Of course, you know, the province wants there to be ride hailing mm-hmm. and um, have made this legislation to facilitate it. And Surrey's known all along that it was coming. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly have much sympathy for Surrey. I don't. I don't have any sympathy for Surrey. But I also don't have sympathy for the plaintiffs in the two lawsuits that have been filed. Well, Uber didn't apply for a business permit in Surrey. Is that correct? Or? That's correct. So yeah. there's first, let's break it down for the listeners who may break not know. Break it down. Break it down. Dun, 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 dun. Um, <laughs> uh, the first one, Uber files a lawsuit against the city of Surrey to say, stop ticketing our drivers and our company $500 for everyone that accepts a ride without a business license. Uh, we need an injunction to prevent you from doing this. Well, the stop the stop uh, having your drivers drive around without a business license, I think they've got a point there. They've yes. got to do something. Yes. The, cer- the city has to do something. And the city it, has been stupid about it. But, but I the, don't injunction, think the injunction, forget is, it. They're not getting it. an injunction. No. No. And you know why? I can tell you six reasons why. Tell me six reasons why, Paul Doroshenko. 
I'll tell you two reasons oh, why. Okay, so you How's don't that? actually have six. Well, I could probably were... expand them into six. <laughs> I called your bluff. First of all, well, I mean, I, um, the um, damages. There, so, I mean, if you're seeking an injunction, um, the um, basically the status quo is normally the uh, the thing that you can rely on, but and the status quo in this case would be no Uber. Mm-hmm. But you can't in the case where damages can be easily calculated. And the city uh, and Uber can easily calculate the damages. The damages are the tickets. Right. There's no irreparable harm. There's no irreparable harm. Which is one of the three branches of the mandatory test to get an injunction. The thing is, it doesn't have to be irreparable harm. It has to be harm that's not... That cannot easily be repaired. It's not irreparable. No, I know. But but yeah. They say irreparable harm, and then they're like, really but it can be repairable. Money. But it's money. All it is is money, and money yeah. can be paid back. Exactly. I mean, every time we have, we run into this with our clients who have judicial reviews who want to stay. And they say, hey, I'm suffering irreparable harm without my license. And the superintendent goes, no, you can pay for taxis. Now you can pay for Ubers. You don't have irreparable harm. You have financial loss. Which is... Um... And they succeed on that argument. Oh, yeah, for sure. So if if Uber is successful here, I'm putting the superintendent of motor vehicles council on notice. Uber will I'm gonna rely on that decision. Uber will not be successful. No, I don't think they will be. Um, the um, that's the first thing. The second thing is that Uber didn't apply for no. a license, so they they didn't even try to go through the regular steps. Um, I've also lost that on judicial review, where clients go to court and they say, "Look, this doesn't work. We can't do it." There's no ability for us to make this argument at this level. Court, please grant us relief. And the court's like, no, you go through the administrative steps first and then come whining at us. Yeah. So those are the two main reasons. Now, you want me to try and figure out how I can break it down to make it six? No. It'll just bore the listeners. Yes. So that's the Uber lawsuit. A decision <clears throat> is going to come the day this podcast is released. Oh, which yeah, Which would be tomorrow. That so today, which is the Thursday... First lawsuit. The first lawsuit decision came out, which was like a no-brainer. Yes. And you wonder why they went this way. The taxi, the the BC Taxi Authority or whatever, some organization of taxi drivers, uh, filed a petition to the court challenging the decision to approve Uber. And they sought a temporary injunction. Now, they haven't heard their petition yet, but they've sought a temporary injunction to prevent Uber and other ride-sharing services from operating until their petition's heard. So it's basically a petition to the court asking the court to make a ruling that the process that led to the awarding of Uber uh, the opportunity to be one of these ride-hailing companies was wrong. And in somehow, somehow that had to be overturned. Yes. But... In the meantime, they wanted an injunction once again. Same thing, irreparable harm. Um, and how can you claim that there's irreparable harm when you knew this was coming yeah. all this time? Did literally nothing. You didn't do anything. You didn't file a petition. You didn't have your petition prepared beforehand. You didn't. You did nothing. But you also, like, you knew it was coming. You knew because you've been whining in the media that it was going to affect your bottom line, potentially. You had years to step up your game. Exactly. Develop an app that works. Like, none of these taxi companies have a working app. 
I know. Apparently all the ride-sharing companies, even the illegal ones that were operating before, had working apps. were able to do a working app. Like, literally, you could pay some university student probably, like, $3,000 and get a really great app. And the university student would feel like they won the lottery. Three well, grand, woohoo! You could probably, you can probably already find, like, some downloadable app to create oh, one. Because we had yeah. these, like, like six, six, six illegal ride-sharing companies operating out of Richmond. Yep. Um, for three, four years now. Yeah. And then you have um, the fact that they didn't like do anything about the level of service you get in a taxi. Like whenever I'm in a taxi, I feel like I'm riding around in a tin can. Like they've replaced all the, the covers on the seats with the leather because people puke on it and they want it easy it, to wipe it's off. It's not leather. It's vinyl or plastic. Well, whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? You wish it was leather. Yeah. I do wish it was leather. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I have leather seats in my car. And so, uh, you know, I know you do. I, 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 I don't. I have vinyl. <laughs> um, they, you know, it's, it's dingy and dark. The drivers are either really weird and talk to you too much, or they're like not interested in talking to you at all. They drive like maniacs. Like half the time I've taken a taxi, I've had to tell the driver, slow down. You don't need to be driving like that. I don't say that. I say, I'm not in a rush. I'm not in a rush. I don't want to die today. Well, you and I respond differently to... Threats. Yes. In any event, um, they did nothing. They didn't improve the service level. You know, Uber succeeds. I mean, arguably doesn't succeed, but that's a business law podcast issue, not a driving law podcast issue. Uber succeeds because it it allows the user to rate the driver and vice versa, and so the people that are on the app and the people that are getting more rides and the people that are getting picked up more often are the people with the higher ratings. Well, it's interesting because the, um, you know, you think of that uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where Larry gives a, uh, a lousy rating and he gets a lousy rating and then he can't get an Uber after that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I live in fear of the rating system. Oh, I found out what my rating was as an Uber passenger when I was in Arizona recently. And? I said something about the rating and then I was like, I'm always so paranoid. Like, I'm glad I don't know what my rating is because he's like, oh, I'll tell you. I'm like, I don't want to know that he told me. I hope it was good. It was, but it wasn't five stars. Really? It was like 4.7. Huh. So somebody rated me low and I'm thinking like racking my brain for every Uber ride that I've taken huh. and which one was crap. And I think I know which one it was. Hmm. Well, you can tell me some other time. Yes. <laughs> I blame Scott Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Shout out to Scott Wonder on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you ruined my Uber rating, hmm. but I still love you. Um, anyway, so, but taxis didn't do any of those things. The obvious things that you would do to fix your service. So I, I you know, oh no, they're going to damage our, our cushy thing that we've had where we've had to do nothing because we were the only game in town. Eh. Yeah. And then their evidence that they filed in the application to say, you know, we'll suffer irreparable harm. They had literally one affidavit from one driver who was <laughs> like, my, um, my income has gone down since Uber came in. No explanation of whether he's working the same shifts. No explanation of whether he's, um, whether he's like working the same number of hours no explanation of whether it might be other factors, like we're into that February slow time where everything's, you know, cold and wet and rainy and people go out less. 
you got to make a pretty good argument if you're seeking like interlocutory yeah. relief like this. Like you have to have actual compelling evidence of your irreparable harm. Yeah. Anyway, didn't have it. Didn't have it. Didn't succeed. And tomorrow, when you're listening to the podcast, you may already know that um, Uber doesn't succeed in their Surrey thing. Or maybe they do. I don't know. I, I read so. one column by a lawyer that yeah. suggested they would succeed. Oh, well. Didn't really explain any legal basis for it, but suggested it. There was no like legal analysis for why, so we'll see. Well, I mean, I can tell you the legal reason why. And the, the reason is that the city only gains its authority to exist by virtue of the fact that the, uh, the province creates legislation for it. And if the province creates legislation to facilitate this, then it should be incumbent upon the city to make sure that it happens. And that's been the position that the province has taken. Right. But, um, you know, they didn't write in the legislation that they were imposing it on the province. Now, there was another, yes, uh, cannabis legislation. I looked at the, at, um, the cannabis legislation. Mm -hmm. The cannabis legislation creates a cannabis manager for the province. Right. And there, in that case, the cities have the option of opting out and the cities can say, they can indicate to them, look, we do not want to have any cannabis dispensaries or cannabis um, uh, which, cultivation. Which Surrey has done. And which Surrey has done and Richmond has done. Mayor McCallum wants a canal. And that's about it. Yeah. So <laughs> A canal and a, a $12 billion sky train. But the point is that that piece of legislation gives them an opt-out. Mm -hmm. And the ride-hailing legislation did not give an opt-out. So on that basis, you could say that they, it, it is basically incumbent upon the city to pass the bylaws to facilitate it. And if they don't, people can just work in the vacuum. Alternatively, they could apply for a bylaw, a permit under the general contractor category, which seems to encompass this type of work. Well, there's a clear taxi category too. Yep. Now you think to yourself, if you're a trucking company and you deliver into Surrey and you've got a business permit in Richmond, um, you're entitled to deliver in Surrey. You don't have to go get a... Right. But you're not entitled to pick up in Surrey. Well, can't you? No, you you're cannot. You're a trucking company? Correct. You have to have a business license in Surrey to pick up in Surrey, I believe. No way. No Yahweh. way. Yahweh. No way. Yahweh. No, 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 no. I don't know. No way. I don't know. Absolutely I didn't look that not. far into it. Absolutely. But this isn't a trucking company. No, but I'm just saying, you know, like it's operating in, in Surrey. The point is that there is legislation, a bylaw in Surrey to deal with taxi cabs. Yes. And, and there are bylaws in Surrey to deal with trucking companies. So. Yeah, but that's the general bylaw. Anyway, we'll see. I mean, we could be wrong, but I'm not counting on Uber getting succeeding. Okay. Well, more interesting and crazy and wild than this whole Uber thing, as if that's not like enough. Well, for us in BC, it is. In the rest of Canada, they're sitting there the thinking to themselves, going, like, what like, the why fuck's can't going these fuckers get it have, together? They don't Uber even have snow. The Uber came. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, we haven't been able to, look, in Vancouver, we have not been able to get a taxi for three years. Still can't get an Uber. I tried on Saturday night. And, and it, it gave me like a, after five minutes, it gave yeah. me a, we can't find you a driver. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. They're all in Surrey. <laughs> there you go. They probably were. Um, no. So big announcement from. Huge. Yeah. From Gigantic. Like. The provincial government today. Mind blowing and going to take time for people to think it through. I don't think it's mind blowing. I think a lot of people expected it, but it's 
mind and soul crushing for a lot of lawyers. ICBC. Well, it's going to be for a lot of people too. ICBC has some big changes coming. Yep. Um, so no fault insurance and no lawyers. But involved. it's not no fault. I know they're saying it's not no fault. It's, it's not no, no fault. fault. It just walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, but we're pretty sure it's a goose. It's no fault insurance. I mean, they you get on there and it says it's your own insurance policy is paying you out now. It's not the insurance policy of the other party. Yep. And of course, you know, in and provinces where it doesn't where matter who's at fault, you get paid. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's like literally no fault. Yeah. You just don't get paid much. It's all about the care. Mm -hmm. So we're in a province where we've got limited resources for health care. And they're basically just trying to say you're going to rely on the health care system. Um, and, uh, but you can get compensation if the other driver was driving like an asshole. You can sue in those circumstances. At least that seems to be what's implied there. Well, they've, they've said that people will be exempt from this no-fault goose system. It's kind of like, remember when you suggested to me that I could get a goat and I could just register the goat with the city of Vancouver as a dog? At the at the dog licensing office, and then and when just they leave it in your yard, and when they came to take my goat, I could be like, "No, that's a dog," and they'd be like, "Clearly, that's a goat," and I'd say, "Nope, you say it's a dog." Exactly, <laughs> got a dog license. It's got a dog license. Must be a dog. Mm. Um, I still think I should do that. <laughs> um, it's like that, but the part that that bothers me, and this is my big beef with it, is. You're allowed your full rights to sue and to have a trial if the other driver is convicted of a criminal offense in their driving. Dangerous driving, impaired driving, refusal to blow, you know, any of the things that would currently be an automatic breach situation. Obviously, you have the right to a full trial because if they're convicted, they're breached and ICBC's not on the hook for it, so they don't care. It's money they don't have to pay anyway. Good luck getting your blood from a stone. But does ICBC not have to pay first? And then, and yeah, but then ICBC the ICBC gets it goes back. and collects from the person. And they get it back. And yeah. I bet they're going to have expanded powers to recover money from people like that. Oh, probably. I bet that's in the legislation. I bet. Well, we haven't seen the legislation. I mean, this was they have just announced it. yesterday that they were going to do something. And then they had a press conference today at 1045 this morning. They said 1030, but they made us wait an extra 15 minutes. They couldn't get their act together. Yeah. Um, you know, they promised when they ran in the last election not to introduce no-fault insurance. And of course, ICBC was created under the NDP back in the 70s. They tried to introduce no-fault in the past. Yeah. And they they got pretty far. Uh, they'd basically tabled the legislation. I want to say this was like the early 90s. And then they had, of course, the plaintiff personal injury bar going, help, no, this is our business, this will kill us. And, you know... Nobody feels sad for the lawyers. As Shakespeare says, first thing you do is kill all lawyers. By the way, that quote is always taken out of context because it's about how to, you know, essentially establish a, a dictatorship or a totalitarian regime. First thing you do, kill all the lawyers. Um, not saying that David Eby's establishing a totalitarian regime, but just, you know, we have to worry. The other thing that happened in the 90s was disability groups got all up in arms and said, wait a minute, this is unfair to people who are going to be disabled as a result of an accident. And that's not right. 
And so we opposed this. And that was what made the NDP back down the first time around in the 90s. Well, the interesting thing from my perspective is that we just went through this exercise where David Eby became not just the attorney general, but the guy running ICBC in charge of that file. Mm -hmm. And he introduced legislation and the legislation was going to limit experts and that was going to be their solution. That was going to be the way that they were going to save all the money and make ICBC viable. And really, this is an ideological thing. We don't have a uh, charter right to insurance, right? Uh, we, we don't have a right to insurance. It's an issue. We don't have a right to drive a car. But you do have a right to have statutory courts decide matters. Well, hang on. I want to finish. So, you know, for ideological reasons, we have ICBC. We have, you know, it's, it's socialist insurance. We could have competition. We could have insurance companies. I don't know that it would necessarily be better. I've not been, you know, I haven't been really hard on ICBC. For the most part, it's worked fairly well, except the expense. Uh, but essentially, this is a declaration that it's not viable to have socialist insurance. So their first step was, let's um, make these lawyers not be allowed to have expert witnesses. And, of course, the trial lawyers... Um, sued and got a declaration that that was, I guess, unconstitutional and, you know, didn't make David Eby look very good. And the next thing you know, what's their next thing to do? Mm -hmm. Well, introduce no fault. So we failed in step one. Well, well the wait lawyers... a minute. That wasn't his next thing. His next thing was to say, be careful what you wish for. He actually said that yeah. publicly. Did he? He did. So it was a threat. It was a threat. Um... So, but the point is that they, you know, the NDP's first answer was a failure. Yep. And but, now their second answer is this. But they went from like doing something that wasn't like a half-cocked idea and they could have done what they wanted to do with the experts in a different way. That's basically what the judgment was from Chief Justice Hinkson. He was like, you can't do it this way. I'm not saying that you can't do it, but just you can't do it the way you did. So they, they did this half-cocked idea they did it wrong, and then they went, like, complete pendulum swing to the worst possible answer. If you look at their pie chart for the expenses, this is the upsetting thing for me, is that what is being paid out to people, they always say it's the cost of the lawyers, it's the cost of the lawyers, it's the plaintiff's bar. It's not. It's coming out of the settlements. People are being paid out of the settlements. This is what the I wrote. Court does not calculate in the lawyer's fees in the settlement. Oh, yes. If you get $100,000 and the lawyer gets $33,000 as a result of it, the $100,000 was the correct settlement amount. Mm -hmm. The lawyer's fees are not calculated into it. And in those circumstances, the other thing that um, the other thing that ICBC would be on the hook for for legal fees is when they acted reprehensibly in the litigation. They got awarded special costs. And that was ICBC's own fault. Yeah. It's ICBC's own fault <laughs> in those cases. behave like a moron in court, the court's going to sanction you. So when you look at their way that they divide their money up and they say, you know, I was looking at the pie charts that they've got of the future without lawyers, um, that you're just going to get that money and ICBC's going to pay you less, but no. you're going to get, you're, you're going to get the same amount as you'd get with a lawyer. No. It's just complete rubbish. No, because how do you like... Your, you know, Susan housewife 
and you're injured in an accident. A lawyer is going to know that there's value and specific value litigated in case law to all of the various tasks you do around the house that you don't even think that you do. And if you talk to like an experienced personal injury lawyer, they usually have like a document that's like, here's 400 things you do that you don't even think about that now you can't do. You don't even realize you can't do them or you can't do them as effectively or you have to have help doing them. And that's all costing you money. But like, is, is Susan Homemaker gonna have that same experience? Or is she just gonna realize one day, oh crap, you know, I should have asked for this and now I've settled my claim and, you know, that's it. Well, I think a lot of people are going to be really upset um, dealing with their cases in the future because they're going to get shortchanged. The idea here is to pay out less in settlements. Anyway, going back to my point, because you cut me off. Sorry. About my point. Sorry. <laughs> you can sue if the person is convicted of a criminal offense. Well, it's not just a criminal offense. They implied other things too. He did imply other things. Like really bad driving and texting while driving and maybe people who have a bad driving or record. Or speeding. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. And I want to see in the legislation what they allow for there. Because first of all, it will give a lot of people incentives to challenge certain tickets if they're doing that. If and they have any accident or well, any tickets because later on you have an accident. and Sure. Yeah. I mean, depending on how they, they structure this, this could further overburden our traffic court system because all of a sudden you know if you are a driver and you know we have this you know no fault goose system you have the driver who is uh injured gets paid and you you know your rates might go up but that's it whereas if you were texting and you got a ticket for texting and the other driver gets paid and you're going to get sued you're going to want to dispute that ticket. Absolutely. But the criminal stuff, that scares me because I know what's going to happen. People now, you know, with the messaging, and we've already seen it in the media coming out, and I sound like David Eby, but I'm going to kind of blame personal injury lawyers here that, you know, you're not going to get a fair settlement. You, you just said it, Paul. <laughs> you're not, and it's probably true. But with that messaging, people are going to be financially motivated anytime they're in an accident to look at the other driver and to go, was their manner of driving dangerous? Do I need to call the police to report dangerous driving? Do I need to call the police to report an impaired driver? And what happens when you're in an accident? You stumble, you slur, you have maybe a concussion. I remember when I was in my first car accident, the bad one, um, I couldn't hear. I thought my phone was broken because I couldn't hear anything through my phone. Turns out the sound of the impact was so loud, it just like blocked my hearing for like 15 minutes hmm. before it came back. Yeah. And I couldn't hear things clearly. So basically your motivation now you're gonna is if you're- going to look like you're if, drunk. If you're in an accident and you are not at fault, you were thinking to yourself there at the roadside, I better call the police and make sure that they in investigate this person and charge mm -hmm. him with drunk driving. I better look at everything that they're doing I so I can say- I think he's impaired. They, you know, I can't I, smell alcohol, but he looks like he's on drugs. Exactly. Because he's stumbling and he's slurring. If, if uh, the police come and the police come to the conclusion based on your whatever, uh, and you end up charged and convicted, mm -hmm. uh, convicted based on the evidence of the person who says, I. So I'm stumbling around. 
Well, exactly. Um, I then, mean, uh, then you can collect more money. And think about the 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 corresponding implications for impaired driving prosecutions. Like now, you have police called out to the scene of accidents maybe more often than they would have been. You have police because you're not supposed to do an IRP when there's an accident. We know that police often do, but they're not supposed to. And there's many officers who take that to heart. Well, you can sue the police if they don't uh, do if a criminal code If they don't do a criminal code because they've obstructed your right to a trial. Exactly. Or IRPs are probably written into the legislation. Who knows? Which is crazy. Um, but then you also have, you know, this person who's now motivated to come to trial. And to give evidence to secure a conviction, whereas they never were before, because they didn't need the conviction to have the right to sue. They didn't need the conviction to, to advance their civil case, whereas they need the conviction to do it, according to what has been announced today, to do it. Which means this person, who's supposed to be this civilian witness, in whom you and I well know, judges place a lot of trust. In a civilian witness at an impaired driving investigation. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. other than some cases I've had recently where evidence was real whack. Well, we've had some. The evidence was terrible. But generally speaking, you get yeah. a civilian witness coming and they go through the effort of coming to court and testifying. And being cross-examined. impaired and being driving cases. to all of that. The judges tend to seem to want to give a lot of weight to that evidence. Yeah. And now you have somebody who's motivated to lie, which means... Or exaggerate. Just exaggerate. Or exa yeah. Like, and, or color it up in their own brain. Yeah, exactly. Just out of complete, like, subconscious self-interest. Exactly. And you also have this corresponding problem, as a, two corresponding problems as a lawyer. One, you now in every case, two ethical problems that you run into, in every case you have an ethical duty to your client to cross-examine that witness on the basis of their financial motivation for making these claims. And to call them a liar because they're financially motivated to secure a conviction. Well, that they're there out of self-interest. You have to put it to every civilian and it's a horrible thing to have to do. I don't like doing it. Well, it's okay. You can make the application for third-party records and O'Connor's application and get all of the litigation information about their you can. lawsuit. You can. To be able to put it to them. You have to now. You don't have to make a, a an O'Connor application for court documents. You can just get those. But no, yes. I know, but for anything else that the ICBC's got. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And, and Paul, you have a second ethical obligation to your client to like deal with all of that, uh, all of that issue about the reliability <coughs> of the civilian, because now as you know, the, the lawyer in charge of their impaired driving defense, you're not just trying to avoid a conviction because you need to keep them from the breach which is the collateral consequence, you actually have to keep them from potentially being sued, which means you have to make bigger decisions when it comes to putting your client on the stand to respond to that evidence. You have to make decisions about blaming the civilian for the accident and laying out essentially a narrative that, that puts the fault e either equally or proportionally shared by the other driver in a way that you may not have had to in an impaired driving case. Like if it's a rear-end rear collision or something, like whatever, rear ends happen all the time. You see nothing leading up to it and there's a bump. Yeah. You know, you don't have to really deal that much with a couple questions to the cop and you've, you've covered it. It's going to change it. Um, and it's also going to compel police to have to conduct more investigations. I think we will see a spike 
in the number of impaired driving investigations. And once you do that, once you have more people disputing tickets, you have more impaired driving cases going to trial because now you have civilians who are saying, I was injured and I am very invested in this. And they're victims and the Crown has to consult them. They're gonna, yeah. And they're going to be pushing it forward. And they're going to have, like I had in a trial recently, plaintiff's counsel sitting in the courtroom watching the whole, whole trial and making notes about all the evidence that's coming out. Um, until they give up and leave because you're winning. <laughs> um they're going to have all of that. It's going to take more time in court. Arguably as well, the person, the civilian, may have some potential right to have their own lawyer attend and do a direct examination of them. Because as a victim, they do have some rights in that regard. It's going to be interesting. Um, I really, I mean... People always look at us and say, oh, your clients are all drunk. They're not. We get enough clients every year who are innocent that I feel very comfortable in what I do. Mm -hmm. um, but the really upsetting thing is going to be for those poor people who are, who are um, actually innocent. Who are actually innocent. And a, a huge number of them are people who end up charged with a criminal offense of refusing to provide a sample after a collision when they've been shaken up. Uh, they've been like on the C-spine They've been, uh, they, they, they've, they've got some other health issue. They are in shock. The adrenaline has gone through them and now they're shaking like crazy and they're required to provide a sample into a mm -hmm. roadside breath tester. And the police are going to, at that point, you know, people are going to end up accidents charged with the criminal offense of refusing. And that's probably going to be sufficient for ICBC for this purpose. You're uh, the, the victim of the accident. And you end up, uh, you know, that's the only way you can collect through ICBC. Where does, where do the civil consequences... It's actually really irrational. It's really an irrational thing. Where do the civil consequences of a conviction, with the way that it grants more rights to the victim, put us on a 24-2 analysis? Like that's oh, on yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah, factor yeah. that, fav you know, favors admission of evidence because it would be beneficial to the long-term reputation of the administration of justice. Oh my goodness, yeah, I don't know how that... 24-2 is going to hurt. I don't know how that's going to play out. It's going gonna, it's, it's to be scary. And I don't, I don't think that ICBC or David Eby or certainly not John Horgan, I like him, but I, I don't know if he, he's not a lawyer, is he? No. No. I don't think any of them have thought through the implications of this for... Criminal prosecutions of driving cases. Well, we know when they brought the IRP scheme out that they didn't think for a second about the implications for ICBC. Yeah. Uh, because, of course, when a 90-day immediate roadside prohibition is issued, the person's only blown into an ASD or a refused to approve screening device roadside. They don't have the evidence that they would have to find the person in breach. And as a consequence of the IRP scheme, of the police not conducting criminal investigations, in many cases, ICBC has been forced to pay out. I've said it before, I'll say it again. That has been one of the things that has costed ICBC a ton of money. Mm -hmm. It's the IRP scheme. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so. If you do not collect that evidence, you should not be in a position to deny people their insurance. If you take somebody back to a detachment, they blow into an approved instrument, they blow 320. 
They look tanked. You've got them I can on win the it. video. You you often can. But ICBC can find them in breach yeah. handily. Oh, yeah. Handily. You might be able to win the criminal case. I know you have. But uh, that's not the point. The point yeah. is that ICBC, you know, the, the fact of the charter arguments is not going to affect the insurance aspect of it. Not at this point in time. Although, nobody's ever tried it. I know, and I'm kind of surprised nobody's ever tried it. It's going to be, it's going to come a day. It's, it's going to have to. Uh, yeah. Here's the other thing. There's another thing? Yes. You make this point with about the IRP scheme. What happens to the constitutional validity of the IRP scheme if they're saying IRPs are sufficient to say you can now be sued? I know. I was thinking about that a couple minutes ago, and I didn't know if I would remember it when this might came time for me to speak again. Um, yeah, because, of course, the whole IRP scheme is... Um, One and done roadside. Boom. Well, yeah, and it's predicated on this idea that the implications are limited to just this administrative mm -hmm. results. But now it's uh, it contemplates if, a civil process against if, you. If they are going to do that, if they're going to say the person got an IRP, you can now sue the hell out of them, and ICBC is not going to provide coverage, then that changes the entire character of the IRP scheme. It may make the IRP scheme unconstitutional insofar as it applies to drivers who are involved in accidents. It which may. goes back to the original policy, which was never to use it in an accident. But we see just the other day, it was used in an accident. There was a truck that was rolled over in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Derek Lewers from uh, SenseBC was in a back and forth with the uh, Delta police about <laughs> it because he said, why wasn't there a criminal code charge? Why are you giving this guy an IRP? And they were like, well, we have the discretion to issue an IRP. Yeah, but uh, Derek, just because you have the Derek, discretion, don't mean you should use it. Well, I know. Derek sent me a uh, direct message, and I said, you know, they're not supposed to use it in an accident. That was what they told the court. They said they weren't going to be using it in accident cases. It's mm -hmm. not The forms are not designed to be used in accidents. It doesn't contemplate the things that you would need to gather when it's an accident. Mm -hmm. So we see the IRP scheme regularly used in accidents. Um, so there's no reason to suggest that it's not going to be if you can't test the evidence that's going to lead to you being sued, that's a real problem. Oh yeah, for sure. That's a real for sure because real you have no constitutional opportunity issue to, to cross-examine the police officer and make your case. Yeah. Or disclosure. Yep. Yep. I see this as a further opportunity to challenge the validity of the IRP scheme, if only in a limited context. So you know, at least I continue to have a raison d'être. You continue to run all of these arguments, and I'm glad to see that you run all of these arguments as they play out. Um, I just feels like the government has the upper hand with just one decision that let, said that it was okay. That now they can just go further and further and further. It's kind of like Donald Trump has been acquitted, mm -hmm. uh, and now he can do anything. I would like to feel less like Don Quixote running all of these arguments. Well, I'm just amazed. It's almost kind of feels like people are resigned just to be, you know, treated badly. Yeah, I I was having lunch with a good friend the other day, and he said, Kyla, you always have this boundless enthusiasm. And I thought, yeah. Yeah, I do. I'm a sick fuck like that. <laughs> well, you also have this inability to, uh, to give it up. Um, yeah, like Don Quixote. Boundless enthusiasm and inability to give it up and tilting at windmills. 
That was so interesting because I realized this week I was just thinking about it. Somebody was asking me about why don't you do this something for pleasure, and uh, I realized I mean I I go to work every day and I work every day and it's like I I don't really think of doing anything, but doing all of the things that I still need to do. Like there's always things on my plate that need to be done either at home or at work or wherever, mm-hmm. and I don't uh, I don't even think of ever doing things for pleasure in my life. But don't you like coming on the Driving Law podcast? I do like it. And I, I mean, the, the other thing that I really enjoy is recording this music that we've recorded. And I can say you can now get Lawyer Told Me Not To Talk To You is on iTunes as of today. So when you're listening to this now, as soon as you're done the podcast, please get onto iTunes. It's only 99 cents. It's not $1.29. Lawyer Told Me Not To Talk To You. You can listen to it in your car. And if you can't afford it for 99 cents, send us a direct message. We'll mail you a loony. Probably we would do we that. We would do that. Yeah. yeah. We will actually mail you a loony if you really want, just for downloading our song. Now, if anybody has any... Hoping we don't get like a million downloads. <laughs> These people will mail you a loony if you download their song. What's the date? It's the 8th now? Is that it? Uh, Today is today is the 6th. That's the day that we're recording. The 6th. Um, 7th. So, so the 7th is the day that this is released. So in a week we're on Valentine's Day. Yes. So we need a Valentine's Day proposal, something crazy we can do. If anybody's got any ideas, send us a direct message for a Valentine's Day crazy thing that uh, Acumen Law can do. Well, there's something fun that we do, but I thought that you had the most fun on the Driving Law podcast when it came time for the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. Was that our music for Ridiculous Driver of the Week? Well, no, I was leaving a pause for the music to be put in. Oh, okay. It's okay. Well, he can always splice it in, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, well, it's fine. Maybe it's already there. Maybe stop talking about it. Okay. (laughs) Um, So this case involved a 15-year-old. I know you're thinking, 15, Kyla? That's a little young to be driving. I used to drive when I was 15. I got my learner's permit when I was 14. Alberta. This isn't Alberta, though. Charged for driving 95 kilometers an hour in a 40 kilometer an hour zone, facing stunt driving charges after driving through a residential area uh, in Delhi, which I guess is somewhere in Ontario, because it was OPP officers who pulled him over. (laughs) He's also charged with driving without a license. (laughs) Um, Stunt driving. Glad he stopped. Yeah. Whoever's car he stole, because you definitely it was didn't a stolen get stolen car. Well, it had well, to be stolen. No, but I mean, it's yeah, not like your parents a... go, "Okay, well, okay, Johnny." I will tell you, my dad used to let me take the car when I was fifteen. Yeah, your, da- your dad, your dad is the exception. Maybe my parents didn't let me take the car when it I was, was 15. completely illegal. <laughs> um, and says, uh, in addition to stunt driving, he's been charged with driving without a license. And stunt driving in Ontario is very serious. Automatically. Your vehicle's impounded for seven days. So whoever's car he took, gone for seven days, he gets a license suspension. Joke's on them. He don't have a license. <laughs> and a minimum fine of 2000 bucks. So all the kid has to do is pay two grand for the joyride of his life. That is great. Somebody else's car's impounded and he doesn't have a license to prohibit. That is great. Good times. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know why I didn't drive around like an a-hole before I had my license too. Consequence free. Basically consequence free. I mean, what yeah. are they going to do to you? Make you pay fines. Well, I suppose they could, there's probably some provision. Like they can do the same thing as they would in BC that they, you'd go in to get your license and then they would prohibit you. 
they might just issue you a license prohibition for three years or something. Yeah, I've seen a couple cases where people got like lengthy driving prohibitions before they were 16. Before they could drive. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, they're pretty harsh on you if you do that. You don't have a driver's license. You, cannot, you don't have a learner's permit. You, you won't be eligible when you turn 16. Let me tell you that. Yeah. So that's our ridiculous driver of the week. Rock on, brother. That's pretty ridiculous. Well, <laughs> as you say rock on, that's kind of funny because as you first started to describe it, all I was thinking about, I wonder what he was listening to. I was wondering. <laughs> Some uh, zap. And I'm always thinking, well, he's no way he's listening to zap. He's 16, but I'd be listening 15. to. 15. I'd be listening to zap. Well, be the immigrant song. Like, what? Taylor do -do 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 Swift. Ah. <laughs> what do 15-year-olds listen to? Mumford and Sons? No, I don't think you can people stunt in their, drive to Those weird, are people in like, their like 30s listening to that. I don't know. What do 15-year-olds listen to? Kanye? Know. Drake. 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 Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know, think you can drive where, like that when the hotline bling. I have no idea. I don't know any songs by Drake. I don't know any contemporary music other than Boyer Told Me Not to Talk to You. Exactly. Downloadable <laughs> now on <laughs> iTunes. All right. Well, that's our podcast. Thanks for having me on. Once again, Kyla, I enjoyed it. And uh, I have to say, there's going to be a lot of personal injury lawyers who are really struggling in the next few weeks, thinking about things and how they're going to come at this. Be kind. And I wish them luck. Be kind to one another. Yes. And tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.